Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. Hello, my high-vibing friends. I am so excited that you are here hanging out with us on the Abundance Alchemist podcast today. I am so happy and excited to introduce Faye. Um, So Faye is an internal conflict resolution expert, stress elimination specialist, relaxation coach, international speaker, world-class trainer, global citizen, and founder of the 7R Formula for Rapid Transformation. She's on a mission to reconnect busy professionals to the magic within so that they can have the health, careers, and relationships that they've always dreamed of. Her life's work has been dedicated to developing human potential and facilitating growth. She has spent 15 years, over 165,000 in trainings and certifications, and thousands of hours researching models of wellness and human potential. After successfully resolving the internal conflicts that uh, negatively impacted her own health, career, and relationships, Faye coded everything that worked on her healing journey and developed a I'm sorry, proprietary protocol that takes busy professionals from being stuck to unstuck so that they can have the health career and relationships that they've always dreamed of. She has been invited to share her expertise at universities, workplaces, wellness centers, um, yoga studios, schools, and in several different countries. Um, And I am beyond excited to welcome her to the Abundance Alchemist podcast today. I know it was long-winded, but such amazing um, background. So welcome to the podcast, eh? Thank you. It's so nice to be with you, Caitlin. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So I'm so excited to talk to you about so many topics, but the one thing that really sticks out to me is stress elimination. I want to talk to you about that because I know that this is not management. This is actual stress elimination. So tell me about that. Yeah. So would you agree that managing stress hasn't really, excuse me, it hasn't really taken many of us far, right? Like we all know, we've all heard about, read about, been trained in the stress management techniques. Mm -hmm. Do your diaphragmatic breaths, listen to your meditation apps, go for walks, practice gratitude, take your essential oils, take your adrenal tonics. Mm-hmm. Look, while all of those things are really, really helpful in supporting your nervous system, mm-hmm. obviously our experience has shown us that it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Because if those tools and techniques that are very prolifically available were what is needed in order to eliminate chronic stress, there would be no issues with chronic stress. Absolutely. But so much chronic stress around which leads me to question then obviously those management techniques aren't working we need a different approach and when I talk about stress elimination protocol I'm talking about eliminating chronic stress because you know like actual stress isn't a problem like Mm. the actual stress response you do need stress I mean For example, if you have a deadline, you don't want to be doing it in your Zen doubt. You don't want to be completing a deadline when you're Zen doubt. If you have a marathon to run, you don't want to be doing it when you're in Zen mode. You know, if you have a big performance or a big deadline, you need that energy. You need that adrenaline boost. You need that, you know, that motivation that comes from having your your stress response triggered. So that's Mm -hmm. not the problem. 
stress has massive benefits. The stress response has massive benefits. Mm-hmm. But the problem is the problem, and that's the problem I'm 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 passionate about eliminating, is the chronic stress where we're not recovering in between those stressful moments, those stressful episodes, those stressful days at the office, the stressful months, the stressful deadlines, the stressful relationships, and the stressful conversations. Mm-hmm. That's 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 what leads us into chronic situations that come from a chronically overstimulated stress response. Yeah. So in my stress elimination protocol, we're talking about three things. We're talking about stop trying to manage stress because obviously it's not working. Mm-hmm. We're also looking and we're also talking about um learning uh, learning how to transform stress and what do i mean by that transforming stress isn't managing it because when you're managing it you're kind of trying to control it when you're transforming it you're changing it and harnessing it as an energy and a force for 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 for, for good and for a lot of good because as we've established uh, stress can enhance your productivity, your performance, your sense of purpose, your energy, and so on. And, and the way to transform stress is to really understand what are the emotional contributors to your chronic stress. Because let's face it, for most of us nowadays in the modern West, Caitlin, mm-hmm. our stress response is not being triggered because of an actual threat to our survival or an actual threat to our lives. It's It's being triggered by something else that the mind perceives as a threat Mm -hmm. and then unleashes the same stress cycle within our hormones and within our bodies. Mm -hmm. And so usually that thing that is creating that, that, that stress response is usually something emotional. Mm-hmm. So it's getting to the heart of what is the emotional stress that's triggering your stress response and the biology, the physiology, and the endocrinology of stress. And the third step is in the protocol is resetting your system, resetting your nervous system, because your body has a capacity to reset. Mm-hmm. Just like you've got a stress response, you've got a parasympathetic response, a response that's all about balance and homeostasis and harmony. Right. But what happens right. with so many of us that are in chronic stress is, as I said earlier, we're going like from one busy day to one big deadline to one failed relationship to one difficult conversation without taking time to reset and recover and recalibrate. And in my st- stress elimination protocol, we work through all those three steps in order to re-regulate your stress response so that you're not suffering from chronic stress anymore. I love that. That's so incredibly powerful because you hit on a couple of things that really stuck out to me. Um, The idea that a lot of the things that we're triggered by are not life-threatening, but we know that our brain doesn't differentiate the level of threat, right? It's like if you're the same response happens if you're being chased by a cheetah and you're going to die or you're stressed out about a deadline. Right. Totally. And you know, because, because, because your mind doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imaginary, which is what you said. And because your mind lives in your body, it doesn't live in between, it doesn't live in in the cranium and between your ears. You're going to feel it physiologically. You're going to feel it in your heartbeat. You're going to feel it in your palms. You're going to feel it in your throat. You're going to feel it in your digestion. 
You're going to feel it in your sleep. You're going to feel it in all those other physiological ways. Right. Because the body's always trying to get your attention to communicate that, you know, you're a little bit off track, a little bit off course, and it's always trying to get you back to homeostasis and balance, always. Right. And that idea of stress being really helpful, I don't think I realized that in my own life until, um, you know, I dealt with chronic stress, right? I continued. I was the same way. I was going through the management tools of doing meditation or something to manage my stress, but wasn't actually going to that place of allowing myself to kind of reset my nervous system and reset. And I noticed it because I started going, I started having a lot of like digestion issues and swelling yeah. and stuff in my body. And when I went to a naturopath doctor, we did a lot of work and they told me that my cortisol levels were really low. And I was like, how does that make sense if I'm really stressed out? Wouldn't they be overly exerted? Because cortisol helps with, you know, anti-inflammatory, which we know. Yeah. But it was because I was so depleted. My adrenals were so depleted from that chronic stress that I wasn't yeah. even able to help my body in the normal functions, which is incredible. Yeah. Or the body wasn't able to help itself because the body right. knows how to help itself, doesn't it? The body knows mm -hmm. how to heal itself. The body knows how to come back to homeostasis. But the thing is, the thing is the body can't do that on its own. Like it needs a little bit of help from us. It needs us to kind of like flick the switch in order for it to do what it knows how to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think you touched on kind of the difference between stress being in more of that physiological or physical sense in your body. But we also know that our thoughts and our subconscious mind and our conscious mind play a really big role in this. So how does the subconscious mind kind of play a role in, in stress? It's huge. It's actually everything. So <clears throat> Uh, as we know, our subconscious mind is the storehouse of all our life experiences, which also includes all our life events, all emotions we've ever experienced, all of the thoughts, all of the beliefs, all the values, so on and so forth. It's the archive. It knows everything about you. It's also the part of your mind that uh, runs your body. It's the part of your mind that beats your heart and digests your food and grows your hair and your nails, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so when there is a perception of um, danger or threat or harm in the environment, that perception is usually triggered from the subconscious because you're not consciously perceiving things and we perceive things based on the filters in our mind mm -hmm. based on our past experiences based on our emotional uh, landscape based on our thoughts based on our beliefs so if we have if that's or or that 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 archive of the subconscious has uh, unresolved or overloaded emotions and thoughts and life experiences, it's going to keep seeing what's in our reality through the same lens of what happened in the past. Mm -hmm. Therefore, triggering, triggering the same physiological response as was triggered in the past. Right. And you and because what we said earlier, your mind doesn't know the difference between what's real and imaginary, your mind doesn't know that this was a past emotional or past situation where you didn't have the internal resources to heal. So it will just recreate that same old feeling. And over time, and the problem isn't that it's created one time. It's not a problem. Because the, the, the mind and the body can, can re recalibrate from that. The problem is that it gets, re, it's on replay. It's a repetitive story. It's a repetitive script. Absolutely. And therefore, 
in the work that I do with burnt out professionals, what we do is we we identify what it is, what is the actual stressor, because it's not the deadline. It's not your boss. It's not your to-do list. It's not the responsibilities. It's not the mortgage. It's not the finance. It is none of those things, none of them. So we identify at a subconscious level, what is the actual trigger of that stress response? And then we resolve it at the level at which it was created. And it happens like that. That's incredible. Yeah. Just thinking about, you know, going to really the root of the cause, because I think sometimes we like to make this so much more complicated than it needs to be. And then we also have kind of some ideas that we for stress management that we look back on older things or older kind of um, studies. Like they're, you know, the idea that all the emotions are in the limbic system. Well, we know that there's not all the emotions in the limbic system. We know that there's yeah. some, but we know that there's in other places. So it's yeah. really interesting to think about how complex we make these. And we look at, again, kind of that idea that the external is creating the internal when we know it's the other way around, like you mentioned. Yeah, we're not looking at the root cause of really what's happening. And the way out, just like the internal causes the external, if you Mm -hmm. want change in the external, you need to go on the inside. (laughs) Absolutely. I agree. No worries. (laughs) Um, So you touched on this idea how this is a recurring thing, right? So like when that, the stressor is, is constantly going from this past event that's occurred. So I know that this recovery method is helpful with trauma and PTSD. How does that intertwine? Yeah. So I just want to address first that recurring piece. So, because remember, this is all happening at a subconscious level. Like we're not conscious of it. We're not aware of it. Right. And here's the thing, just because we're not conscious that this is happening underneath the surface, it doesn't mean that it's not happening. Mm -hmm. Just because we're not conscious that something hasn't been resolved from the past, it doesn't mean it had, that it's not there underneath the surface creating imbalance, right? It doesn't mean that. It just means we're not aware of it. And this is why simply the process of making, uh, making the conscious, the unconscious conscious is so curative. Mm-hmm. is so curative actually uh, shining the light on what's been hidden or what's been unknown or what's underneath the surface is massively transformative massively massively transformative mm-hmm. but the thing is also with this because it's so subconscious another another um Um, if you want to call it kind of function or role or feature of our subconscious mind is that it's the part of our mind that's responsible for habitual, repetitive, automated behaviors or aspects. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it, it, it automates things so quickly, so rapidly. And so if we've, if, if, if this actual stressor is stored at that level of mind, that does everything on auto-repeat, it means that it's been memorized, it's been practiced so much at a subconscious level, you don't even have to think about it anymore. The mind is running it as a program underneath the surface, just like you don't have to think about blinking your eyes or swallowing or beating your heart or breathing your lungs. It just happens underneath the surface. Mm. And that's what's going on with these things. It's practiced so many times, these actual emotional, psycho-emotional stressors that lie underneath the surface that we're not aware of. 
have been practiced and, and now they're, they're automated. They're an automated part of our response. Yeah. Absolutely. And when we try to resolve them, and that's why taking, taking lavender essential oil isn't going to help a long-standing practice unresolved thing from the past. It won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I agree with that. So going to that idea of the habitual place, how does this make sense with, with trauma and PTSD? Like how do we yes. move into that space? Yeah. So uh, trauma, trauma and PTSD also come from an unregulated stress response, right? Right. Yep. So they come from uh, been there on multiple occasions. So when I say all it is, I, I'm not dishonoring anyone's experiences with trauma and PTSD. It's just after my 15 year journey through recovery, learning what I did, applying what I did, and now doing what I do in my clinic. If I stand back and I peel it all back, mm-hmm. trauma is uh, um, uh, an event or multiple events that happens that totally overwhelms the nervous system. It's an event or multiple events with heightened negative emotions Mm -hmm. that the event is either very sudden, very uh, intense, very overwhelming, very unexpected. And we feel on the inside that we don't have the internal resources to deal with it. Mm. And in that case, then that event or or the events, they don't get stored in the hippocampus part of the brain they get stored in our nervous system, in our body as implicit memories. And implicit memories do not respond to cognitive therapies. And that's why we kind of like can't remember what happened or Mm. we don't have a conscious recollection of what happened. Of course not, because it hasn't made it up to your brain. It's still in your body. It's still in your nervous system. And that's why, that's why trauma uh, uh, and it's, I think I think it's now become a widely established and widely held uh, belief and truth that trauma is behind all addictive behaviors. It's behind all forms of mental health and mental illness, and of course, it is. It's behind PTSD, right? Yep. And therefore, therefore, how does this relate to that? Again, it relates to it because when when our nervous system is in that heightened state, we're in that heightened negative emotional state, our survival response, our survival mechanism, our stress response gets switched on very, very quickly. But the thing is, the stress arousal cycle doesn't have a chance to, to unwind, to complete its full cycle. And the event gets locked in. The, the nervous system gets frozen in that stress response. Mm-hmm. And, and we get frozen in time in that emotion, in that scene, in that feeling inside the body. And that's why we always have, oh, there's a snot in my stomach. There's a, there's a knot in my throat. There's a tightness in the chest. There's pressure in the head. There's a heaviness in my arms and in my legs. Of course there is, because that's the memory stored in the body, not in the brain where it should be. I like that. I give, it gives it a lot of meaning behind, you know, a lot of people will say, if you have unresolved trauma, you notice it physically manifest in some way in your body, or you'll hear this idea of diseases manifest from kind of this idea of chronic stress, which we know chronic stress is that silent killer, but we have a hard time sometimes thinking that a thought or an emotion or a trauma or an experience can be stored in our body. We just think about it in that physical sense of, 
the thought. We don't think about it in our body. So I like that you said that. Well, yeah, thank you. But um, the, the work that I do in the area of trauma recovery comes from, you know, the research that I did that led me to the work of Dr. Gabor Mate. Mm-hmm. You know, when the body says no, and uh, he has another one, and I'm sorry, I forget the other one. But 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 Dr. Gabor Mate says trauma isn't what happens to you. It's not what happened to you. It's what happened inside the body. Mm. When that thing happened in your life, it's how you experience it on the inside. That's trauma. It's what happened inside your nervous system. That's trauma. And what happened inside your nervous system in in trauma with heightened negative emotion is basically a stress response that becomes overly, uh, overly stimulated without then unwinding and then coming back to homeostasis. That's what I do in in my work. Right. And that gives a lot of clarity to the idea of why certain events can be perceived as traumatic to one person, but another person might not react the same way because it's all about how you do. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You are just blowing me away. You have done so much kind of just research in this field and what you know is really, really powerful with um, kind of shifting. I like that the shift is away from that stress management because again, I don't think it's talked about of I think stress is so normalized of you have to have chronic stress nowadays and the grind is how everything gets done and it's just part of life. And it's, it's not, I mean, you can no, have, it's not. yeah. And I, 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 I don't know, maybe it's the idealist in me here, but the idealist in me is maybe thinking or hopefully wishing that one of the things that one of the shifts, the paradigm shifts that's going to come as a result of COVID is this uh, re-evaluation of what it means to be well and healthy. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I think we've all come to understand over the past 14 to 16 months that health and well-being aren't just about our physical health and our physical well-being. Right. I mean, there's right. so many conversations. It seems like right now that conversations around mental health have become really normalized, haven't they? They have. As they should they have. have. As they should be. And I think as more of that continues to be more mainstream, I think the way people look at and think about what it means to be successful in work, mm-hmm. it's really going to be balanced with what does it take in order to be well, in order to really thrive at work. Because you can't thrive at work if you're not thriving in your health or in your life. Can't, can't happen. Right. Yeah, we can't, I think like you're saying this, the shift is coming of, we're not, we can't like compartmentalize different aspects of ourselves. We're a whole being. So every different area in our life, we have to be showing up and taking care of ourselves and doing the work and, but also giving ourselves that space to process and deal with, like you said, the kind of the root cause. (laughs) Because the mind, the mind that does your health the mm-hmm. mind that does your PTSD, the mind that does trauma or whatever, is the same mind that's involved in your work. It's not as if, oh, you have one mind that goes to work and you have one mind that does your relationships and you have one mind that does your health. It's the same mind. It's the same software. Right. And when yeah. that software heals and reboots and recalibrates, then it gets to work optimally across all areas of your life. And that's why, you know, when you do this work at a deep subconscious and nervous system level, uh, you know, my, usually when my clients come to me for, in, for, for, for recovery in one area, they, they, it floors them how 
recovery in that one area transforms everything else in their lives. Mm-hmm. But how can it not? Because when you're in balance and when you're in in in, uh, in homeostasis, your physical body will uh, will improve, your health will improve, your relationships will improve, and your career. Absolutely, yeah, it makes makes sense, right? We just kind of like to look at it like we're separate beings of like, this is who I am at work or this is who I am at home. And it's not the case anymore. And I think, like you said, the, the paradigm shift is coming after COVID of that, of we really are noticing and having these conversations. And, um, like I said, this is one of the reasons I started this podcast is to have those conversations to shift out of these old ideas that are not helpful. No, they're not. No, they're not. And it's, you know, and it's, this, this is where I think COVID has, Uh, We have a lot to be thankful for, for COVID. Mm -hmm. And I think looking back, I think, you know, when we're all on our deathbeds and we look back on our lives, I think it's going to be really interesting, the perspective that we have about, you know, this period in history Mm -hmm. and what it's allowed us to do and the opportunities that it's allowed us to improve on and carve out for ourselves. And I know, I know, and I have a lot of understanding and empathy that a lot of that when you're stuck in the thick of it, really hard to see things that way I really really understand that Mm -hmm. I'm talking you know in terms of big paradigm shifts I think there's there's a lot of wonderful positive paradigm shifts that are coming as a result of COVID I agree with you I I absolutely do I think it's shaking things up and uh, making us look at what we've I don't want to say had the privilege of pushing away but almost that because we've been able to kind of just keep it on the side and totally (laughs) Yeah, And it's what we were talking about earlier. You know, it's the stuff that was underneath the surface. And just because it was underneath the surface, it doesn't mean that it wasn't festering. It was festering. Right. And I think this has just kind of brought everything to the light. And as we were saying earlier, when things come up to the light, they transform, they they heal. Mm -hmm. They do. Yeah. And I think, too, it's really... I like that you're saying, you know, it's all this stuff that has been happening for so long ago, because I think we kind of write off these things that happen at a young age. I think, you know, we look at trauma that maybe happened in our teenage years or young adult lives, but we don't necessarily look at things that may not have even been traumatic in a sense, but even as an infant, like our development, it's crazy to think that, you know, there's theories that, I mean, like Sigmund Freud's psychoanalytic theory, right? Your idea of if somebody is smoking and drinking and having kind of all these different like overeating, they could technically be in the developmental stage of, uh, of a baby. They could be in that oral fixation place. Like this idea that your entire life matters and you can't just write off these things that you don't want to look at or that you don't think that affect you. And the idea that, like you said, this is a recurring pattern. This is happening subconscious. So it's habitual. It's not just something that we can bring up and say, Oh, okay, cool. I've dealt with it until we're really looking at the root cause of the emotion that's actually contributing, not just saying, oh yeah, I've thought through what happened. And usually what you think consciously is the root cause of the problem is never the root cause of the problem. Absolutely. Because it's subconscious, hidden, it's underneath the surface. I mean, by virtue of it being subconscious, you're not conscious of it. And, you know, they don't call them formative years for no reason. Those first seven years of our lives are very formative. But here's from a subconscious, from a a subconscious specialist point of view, something to keep in mind about that. Those first seven years, the reason why they're formative is 
the first seven years of our lives, our brain waves, our brain is in theta. Theta is our conscious brain has not yet developed. We have no capacity in the first seven years of our lives to make sense of the world, to rationalize, to understand. There's none of that capacity is available for us. So we are literally, when they say we're like a sponge, we're literally like a sponge because think about everything that we have to take on and learn in order to be able to survive uh, in the world around us. There's a massive amount of skills that we need to learn. Language, behaviors, more, more uh, um, uh, norms, uh, um, you name it. And so we need to be, that's why we're wired to be totally in our subconscious, that everything that we see around us, we imitate. And as we imitate it, it gets automated, it gets practiced and it sticks. Mm-hmm. And yes, of course, then that whatever is happening later on in your in your life that isn't working can be traced back to those first seven years, just like everything that's happening well in your life, bless you, can also be traced back to the first seven years of, of life. Mm-hmm. Because not all that's in your subconscious is adverse. Right. There's a lot of resources in your subconscious as well. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful, actually, when you work with the subconscious in order to bring out the resources and to amplify them in order to resolve self-limitations in your life. That's that's part of the joys of the work that I do, actually. It's, it's actually connecting you with your internal resources at a subconscious level. And that's massively transformative. I love that. I think that, you know, when we start having these conversations, we think about how scary the subconscious can be, but it's not all scary. It's really power. I mean, it, it brings a lot of the power that we don't even think that we have or the abilities that we have to the surface to show us really like what we're capable of and how many choices we have in life. And like I said, that chronic stress is a choice in a sense, like it's not, it doesn't have to be a reality. We, you mentioned perception and it's a huge perception yeah. and it might yeah. not be something we consciously choose. Um, like you said, again, it kind of goes to that pattern space, but it shows the subconscious shows that we do have a lot of different um, power to us. For sure. See, and also Caitlin, I think uh, when you're talking about an element of choice, I'm a big, big, big advocate of, you know, uh, willpower and assuming responsibility for change. But also, I understand that the messaging out there isn't very helpful to taking on what you and I are talking about. Because until I started digging and digging deep, I also believed that stress is a killer. No, stress is not a killer. Chronic stress is a might be a killer. Right. Actually, not even that. Not resolving stress is a killer. But stress right. isn't the killer. Now, this is what I'm trying. The point that I'm trying to make is that uh, there isn't the the there, we, we don't know enough. I mean, I never knew. I never knew that stress isn't something to be afraid of. And mm-hmm. sometimes, trying to suppress stress can create and 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 accentuate a cycle of stress that's very very unhelpful. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely see that. I think sometimes when I, yeah, I notice that when I'm trying not to be stressed out or not to be anxious, I'm actually increasing that in my life and noticing in it kind of in the external sense. Because we know that what we resist persists, right? Absolutely. If you resist looking at what happened in the past because it's uncomfortable, 
it will persist just because you're not thinking about it. It will persist just because you don't want to deal with your negative, uncomfortable emotions. They're not going to go away. They're going to persist. They're actually going to grow much stronger. Just because you don't want to deal with, you know, negative beliefs or views that you have about yourself or about your life, it doesn't mean that they're not going to go away. They'll stay there underneath the surface and they'll gain momentum and force and strength and eventually when this isn't dealt with over time, over time, it will, uh, it will, it will come out as a moment of crisis. I mean, this is why you know burnouts and meltdowns and and all of these situations are basically uh, your 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 mind trying to get at your attention through your body. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So. We've talked a lot about what this does to your body, and you mentioned the st- uh, your three-step stress elimination protocol. Tell yeah. me about like what can we do about this if if we're you know not able to come to your clinic or um, you know how can we start working on this? What is what's this next step for us? Well, you can definitely come to my clinic because now I do everything <laughs> online. So oh, perfect! That's actually, been yeah, that's been one of the one of the. Uh, uh, the positive outcomes of COVID before COVID, I was, yeah, say a limiting belief. I had a limiting belief that this work would only work if you did it in person, which is so not true. Mm-hmm. And it also mm-hmm. meant that, you know, I had less impact and less people were able to make access and, 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 and enjoy these practices. So now as a result of COVID, that's all taken care of. I do all my work online. So you can come see me, you know, anytime. And I have time slots that suit different time zones. Excellent. But but also here's here's something here's something to think about. Uh, what I would suggest that you do to get started is to make a list of everything that stresses you out. The next part of the list is I want you to go back and look at that list, circle, underline or whatever. Which of those things on the list are actual stressors? Like which of those there actually come from a threat to your survival, a threat to your life. Mm-hmm. You'll probably notice that. I mean, I again, I'm making I'm making assumptions that probably are uh, are 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 not appropriate. But I suspect for most people listening to the podcast, the list of stressors will not come from the actual triggers to an actual stress response, which usually tend to be deprivation, hunger, and abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And therefore, and, and and then once once you realize once you realize that okay, to what extent are these stressors actual stressors? Then you'll realize okay, they're emotional stressors. Then you have an opportunity to do something about them. You can't do something with something that you're not aware of, right? And this is why you know if I were to boil down everything that I do in all my programs and all my processes. It's the process of making the unconscious conscious so that the mind can then work on it on your behalf because the mind knows what you want and it knows how to get you there, but it just needs a little bit of help. And simply the process of bringing things to awareness is massively curative, massively curative. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, we're talking about, like you said, making the unconscious conscious. That's the only way that we can start doing something to heal and work through it. Like you said, I mean, even the idea that, Hey, I am dealing with chronic stress. I need help. And booking a session with Vey would be, you know, this, that step that we're talking about of starting. 
That makes a lot of sense. So is that, um, and I, I know I have so many questions for you, but <laughs> is that what the uh, seven pillars for rapid transformation? Is that kind of the idea behind it? And that's a small part of it. So the seven pillars of rapid transformation, those are the seven kind of big areas or big buckets that I had to tackle in order to resolve all my symptoms of chronic, all my chronic symptoms. So I had, as I said, all the chronic conditions, I had them. So the seven seven, uh, pillars are um, resetting your nervous system, essential. Relating to stress differently, which is what we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. Releasing tensions from your physical body, which is massively important, massively important. Reframing the negativity bias, doing something with the negative shit. Oh, sorry, the negative stuff inside your head that's on that's on autopilot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And actually, it's Um, non-negotiable. Connecting, reconnecting to positive internal resources. Uh, resolving your internal conflicts and assuming responsibility for change. And what I mean with by assuming responsibility for change, it's not just making the decision and having the intent like I'm going, you know, to be better or I'm moving towards freedom from these conditions. But it's actually also getting really clear on what you want instead and articulating it in a way that your mind, especially your subconscious mind, can understand and start working on it on your behalf right away. Because a lot of times, Caitlin, the reason why many of us remain in chronic stress, chronic anxiety or whatever, is because we don't know how to speak to our subconscious mind. We we don't know how to give it the instruction in order for it to give us what we want. And so part of assuming responsibility for, for, for change is helping you get clear on what you want, not what you don't want, what you want, and framing it in a way using language patterns that your subconscious mind can recognize and implement right away. That's powerful. I like that. Yeah. That and makes a lot, a lot of, of times. Sense. Caitlin, you see a lot of times when we are in these chronic stress conditions, we don't know, we're not clear on what we want. We're not giving the right instructions to our mind. We're just remaining in that negative space and catastrophizing and, 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 and automating the old story. So it's very important to start crafting a new story. You can't craft a new story if you don't know what you want. Like, what do you want the story to look like? Because if you don't give direct instruction, your mind to create or script or a new story or a new ending it will just keep repeating what it already knows because it's a repetitive part of your brain right it's that idea that comfort zone or what we talk about um yeah being in that comfort zone it makes a lot of sense and I I like that you touch on that because I think you hit on a really powerful point of we really are awesome at focusing on what we don't want but when you ask somebody what do you want or like what is you know, like in traditional therapy, it's the idea of like the um, miracle question. Like if you could have absolutely it any way you wanted, how would it be? And people yeah. still don't really know how to answer it. We don't really know how to articulate what we do want. We just focus on what we don't want in our lives. And it's yes. And that's why, you know, the work that I do with my clients is 100% outcome based. And it's 100% based on that. Like I always start at the end, always. And I work, we work backwards. Mm. So when you work with me, the first question I'll ask you is, what do you want? Like, 
it's not that I don't care. Of course, we can touch upon what's happening right now. And it's important to have a sense of what's going on or what's not working. But associating and reassociating with what's not working in your life isn't going to give you a different result or a different outcome. But, but associating with what you want and really over-associating with what you want is what's going to give you a different outcome. So we always start at the end and everything that we do together is always, always with the um, end goal in mind. And the end goal are those desired outcomes that are clearly, clearly crafted and communicated in language and in terms that your mind can understand and act on right away. Yeah, that's absolutely very powerful. And I like that approach because I think too, um, you know, a big turnoff, at least for me, for traditional like therapy when I was trying to get help for chronic stress is this idea that I had to go in and relive my trauma story or, and it wasn't helpful. The amount of therapists I had to tell my trauma story to, and you're not even identifying who you are. It's just like, this is me. This is what was traumatic in my life. And this is what happened. And then it's just like, okay, but it doesn't help me get to, okay, but this is where I want to be. And this is what I want to do. And here are my goals. And how do I get there? And how do I get there with my internal subconscious resources? Because just talking about it and just visualizing it and affirming it isn't enough. Sure, that's a a part of it. Absolutely, Mm -hmm. absolutely. But it is not enough because if your subconscious mind does not believe that possibility, that outcome, it will not give it to you. So it's really important to make sure that your subconscious mind understands it because your subconscious mind is going to deliver that result for you, not your conscious mind. And that's why affirmations are very limiting. I love that. I have an issue with affirmations because I believe the same thing. And I think that, you know, in kind of more the new age sense, but also if you're looking at like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, it's the same in that restructuring, right? You're looking at an affirmation but there's not that power behind it. You can't trick your subconscious to believe it if you don't believe it. No, no. And I think there's a lot of merit to CBT. I incorporate Mm -hmm. a lot of CBT into my work. Right. But but I do it because I know this this is the way that I work. Like in my powerful trauma release protocol, In my private coaching for rapid transformation, Mm -hmm. we work on five different levels, conscious, subconscious, somatic, nervous system, and lifestyle. And in the conscious conscious realm, I mean, you do have to engage your conscious mind and recruit your conscious mind. That's why we work on consciously, consciously changing your thoughts, but it's not enough. But when you combine it then with the subconscious reframing, then there's no reason for your mind not to habituate that over time. Right. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I think it can be really powerful. I do love CBT, but like you said, it has to be, there is a limit to what it can do. And there's a limit to, you know, talk therapy. That's why I say there's so many different ways for us to heal and to grow and release and do all these things. So limiting ourselves to one way that's not feeling like it's helping it's not the only way to do things. No, it's not. I mean, you mentioned the limitations of talk therapy. And I mean, I, I, I'm I now doing what I did because of the limitations of talk therapy in my own recovery journey. So when I started this work, I, I started this inquiry. I like to think of it more of as an inquiry. Mm-hmm. It was 15 years ago. I was 36 years old and my life was totally spinning out of control. And that's when I started manifesting all those chronic conditions, all of them, every single possible one. And at the time I was living 
Curacao in the Caribbean. I mean, you know, I was basically living where other people vacation. Mm-hmm. And um, just as a little backstory, I'm from Lebanon in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And I was born in Lebanon right before the start of the civil war uh, in 1975. And that's one of the, that was one of the longest wars in the Middle East. It claimed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people and it displaced many millions out of the country. So we were part of the statistic that were that left the country very, very early on in the peace. And, um, you know, we ended up living in Europe, in Canada. Eventually, I went to study in the States, uh, you know, and build my career, so on and so forth. Uh, and so the story, the story, the narrative I always ran inside my mind is that uh, we're fortunate that we left the war at an early on, which is true, we did. So we were unaffected by the war, right? So that was that was the story. I was telling myself that I'm lucky. On the inside, I wasn't feeling it in my body. Disconnect. Now, fast forward to 36 years, 36 years later, when everything was falling apart around me and I and landed in a, in a doctor's office, basically what prompted me to go into the doctor's office is I was driving on my way to work one morning. I was in education at the time. I lost control of the car and the car went spinning and it ended up on the other side of the road. And I completely, I passed out behind the wheel of the car. Petrifying, petrifying, well, yeah. petrifying. And I didn't know what had happened and I had no explanation for what had happened, right? None. So I hid it from everyone and I didn't do anything about it. But eventually, remember what we resist persists. Eventually, things continued going from bad to worse. So I had to take action. When I went into the doctors to get myself out, I was convinced that they were going to come back with something neurological, you know, to explain the blackouts and the dizziness and all the chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. But there was no medical explanation for what was going on. I mean, I remember one day after, you know, five or six doctor's offices, the doctor coming back and saying, I have some really good news for you, Faye. There's nothing wrong with you. And I burst into tears. Mm. And I said, doctor, what do you mean? If there's nothing wrong, why aren't I okay? And I think that's when the inquiry started. And so right away, he put me on. um, uh, So he, he diagnosed it as PTSD and depression. And he put me on medication and talk therapy. Now, I resisted the PTSD diagnosis because I'm like, PTSD, nothing traumatic has ever happened to me. And I resisted the depression diagnosis because, you know, I thought, well, I can't be depressed because I'm a positive, optimistic person. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I right away I gave I, I refused going on medication But I thought, let me go to talk therapy because the way he framed it is, um, you know, it could be certain emotions or certain thoughts that you're having that are causing these uh, symptoms in your body. And I thought, okay, that makes sense. I went to two sessions, Caitlin, and I never went back because we were talking, going round and round and round and round in circles, Mm -hmm. talking about how bad things were and how bad my life was. And then she offered me a breathing technique at the end, which was impossible to do because at this point, my mind was so buzzing with stuff. But eventually, eventually, when I came across the work of the subconscious, that's when things transformed. And when when uh, I went to a therapist's office to work with, with the subconscious, and she asked my subconscious mind to go back to the very first time that I was at the 
heart, at the root cause of all the current limitations, all the current conditions in my life, my mind went back to the time that I was five and we were fleeing the war in Lebanon. And it was in the middle of the night and my father was stuck outside the country because it was unsafe for him to return. And here's my mother fleeing with three young children. I was five, my little brother was three, my little sister was one. Someone had told her, if you leave at around two in the morning, it's the safest time to make it to the airport to avoid sniper fire. Well, that night, that wasn't the case. About 10 minutes into the journey, the bombs started falling overhead and snipers in the distance. I mean, she freaked out. She's fleeing a war zone, leaving everything and everyone behind with three young children and her husband is stuck outside the country. So what did she do to keep us safe? She pushed our heads underneath the seats of the car. In that moment in time, I couldn't breathe. I went into panic mode. Well, actually, my nervous system did. Mm-hmm. And my nervous system, it was a heightened negative emotional experience, right? right. The nervous right. system thought, you know, that there's an actual threat to my life and to my survival. It froze and it never recovered. And 31 years later in that doctor's office, that was the problem that was manifesting in traumas and chronic pain and chronic insomnia and chronic fatigue and chronic depression and chronic anxiety and PTSD. And once we, once we resolve that scenario from the mind, from the subconscious mind, things started to come right again. And my symptoms went away. That's incredible. Yeah. And I see this every day in my clinic, every single day, This is what I see happening in my clinic. People, I mean, people come to me as a last resort. No one says once they first come across a chronic condition, no one says, oh, I'm going to go for internal conflict resolution. No one says that. Right. Go to the doctors and the psychotherapists and the naturopaths and the acupuncturists and, 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 and it doesn't work for them or it works for a short period of time or it's not sustained. And then eventually they end up here. Mm-hmm. And after one or two sessions, they're like, my God, this has helped when nothing else has helped for all those years. And it's not me. It's not me. It's because I'm, we're working with the subconscious mind and the nervous system. The level at which these traumas and these chronic stress and the stress response is actually stored. It's incredible. Incredible how powerful it can be. Um, and I could talk to you forever. I will wrap up, oh though, God. but... but thank you so much for sharing all that information. (laughs) Um, And for everybody, I'm going to definitely put um, Faye's information where you can find her and her (laughs) clinic um, in the episode notes, but I'll just say it. You can find her on Facebook at Faye Lawland, um, same Instagram. Oh, I'm sorry. Lawand. I apologize. (laughs) The wand, you know, like magic wand, Lawand. Yeah. Lawand. Perfect. It sounds even better. (laughs) Um, Or at FayeLawand.com. Um, and again, I'll put those in the episode notes for you guys, but thank you so much for coming on. Such a pleasure. It's great to talk to you, Caitlin. It's always great to connect with the people with a similar mission. I agree. Yes. And for all of our listeners, thank you for listening. Please um, tell us what you thought. Subscribe, rate, and review. Um, This is for you guys. So we want to um, come on and share what you guys want to hear. And again, thank you so much for listening. 
Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love.